beloved congregation, brothers and sisters, the average person uses about 30,000 words per day. That's a lot of words. Most of us use enough words each day to fill a book. If you multiply that by the days in your lifetime, you would be able to fill a good-sized library with volumes of books written just by you. During a typical worship service, I will use from six to 8,000 words. And so each Sunday, I use up a good part of my allotment per day, just during the two worship services. Hundreds of people listen to what I have to say, not just in this building, but also on the internet, and all my words are recorded. And so during a worship service, I'm careful with my words. Before I open my mouth on this pulpit, I will have carefully thought about what I'm going to say and how I will say it. I spend a good part of the week preparing myself. But did you know that all your words, day in, day out, are recorded as well? And do you know who does the recording? Well, the Lord God. He keeps a record of each word we speak. He bugs our conversations every day. He is always listening in. And he holds us accountable for every word we utter. The Lord Jesus made that clear when he said in Matthew 12, verse 36, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. And therefore we must speak and act as though we were already facing Christ in the judgment. Sadly, the words we speak are not always wholesome words, are they? Just think about this morning or this afternoon before you came to church. Especially if you have little children to get ready, you may have spoken a few angry and unwise words. And perhaps after the worship service, you will get into the family car and gossip about others and argue with each other all the way home. That's frequently the way it goes with us, doesn't it? What's the matter with us? Well, the matter with us is that we have unruly tongues. James' words here in chapter 3 are just as fitting now as when he wrote them 2,000 years ago. James speaks about the power of the tongue. With our tongues, we can achieve a great deal. With words, you can either build up or tear down. You can accomplish great things, but you can also do a lot of damage. The tongue is a very powerful instrument. That's what I will preach to you about this afternoon. It's about the power of the tongue. It's also the theme. It has the power in the first place to direct the course of life. Secondly, to destroy the circle of life. And then thirdly, to heal the source of life. So then it has the power to direct the course of life. Earlier in this letter, James indicated that he would come to the subject of the tongue. He said back in chapter 1, verse 26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. 
And in verse 19, he writes that everyone should be quick to hear and slow to speak. The tongue is a dangerous weapon and needs to be used with extreme caution. It must be handled with care. It's like a stick of dynamite. You better not let it slip. The proverb says, though feet should slip, never let the tongue. Surprisingly, James starts off by singling out a specific group, namely teachers. When we think of teachers, we think about those who teach in elementary or high school or universities or about ministers and elders. But if that were the case, then most of you sitting in the pews would be let off the hook. And so that's not what James has in mind here. The scriptures consider all of us to be teachers. Listen, for example, to how the author of the letter to the Hebrews addresses his readers. He says in chapter 5, verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. He expects all of his readers to be well-equipped enough to be teachers. Yet, James writes here that none of them should become teachers, that not many of them should become teachers. Why does he say that? Well, apparently, they were at war with each other about leadership in the church and who should be a leader and who should be a teacher. And so now he gives them a warning. They better know what they're doing. Being a teacher carries with it a lot of responsibility and requires a certain skill and discernment. Before you open your mouth, you first must know whether the information you're going to pass on is beneficial to your hearers or to another person. You must be a good listener first and do your utmost to understand where the other person is coming from, and what his or her need is. And that's especially true when you want to instruct someone about the Christian faith. You first need to establish a connection, a relationship. Before you teach them about the faith, you must demonstrate that you are genuinely interested in them and that you care about them. And the way to do that is to understand their background and their circumstances. Most people you meet on the street or in the workplace know something about Christianity. But typically they are misinformed with many misconceptions. And you have to know what are those mistaken beliefs? What are they misinformed about? What keeps them from coming to the saving knowledge about Christ? What are the obstacles? Are they disappointed in the Christian people they have met? Or do they have certain misconceptions about the Bible? What is it? Every person is unique. And you can only discover these things by listening to them and trying to Connect with them within their own specific situation and context. For you see, we live in a world which does not reflect 
God's world. Modern man has shaped his world into a world of their own thinking, of their own making. A world wherein God's words have been twisted and changed and even eradicated. The word sin, for example, has all but been removed from the public forum. Other words are either eradicated or changed to mean something completely different. At one time, a gay person indicated someone who is joyful, cheerful. But we know what that refers to now, don't we? Only a few years ago, we all knew what a boy or a girl is, or what a mother or a father is. But now, if the progressives have their way, boys can be girls and girls boys, and mothers are now to be referred to as birthing people. The devil knows that words and labels are powerful. They create a certain image in our minds and change our way of thinking and even our way of life. It changes the direction and the course of life. For that reason, we must teach, we must teach others to use biblical language, especially our children which is our most important task. Our children live in this modern, perverted world and are profoundly affected by it because of social media and all kinds of ways that they interact with this culture. But they have to know what the real world is, the world that God has created. But you can only reach them and understand them if you also see them within their own world. To what extent has this world influenced them? In what way? What is clear and obvious to us older people may not be clear and obvious to them. And what is a priority for you or for me may not be a priority for them. Also, our children are unique. We read from, from Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Our children must understand biblical language and how that applies to them and their world. And they have to be taught a Christian worldview. And that happens in the home, especially. And also in catechism classes and in the Christian school. As it says in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, about God's laws, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. They must be bathed in God's word. But that must be done in wisdom. Proverbs 22, verse 6 literally says, train a child according to the demand of his way. It's also how some of the older translations have it. And so a better translation would be, train a child in accordance with his unique abilities and context, and then when he is old, he will be still on the right track. In other words, Find out what kind of world your child lives in. Listen to him or her. 
How do they understand their world and their place in it? The way to bring up a child is not by lecturing them and overwhelming them with a torrent of words and instructions of do's and don'ts. Use your words judiciously and wisely and lovingly and make sure they apply to them. To instruct them in the way of the Bible does not mean that you impose your personal likes and dislikes upon your child either. No, let them live their own life according to their own desires and aptitudes and abilities, not yours. Don't live your life through them. At the same time, you make sure that whatever their preferences are and whatever direction they want to go in, that they always stay within the parameters of God's law. And brothers and sisters, that gives us all a lot of freedom. For God wants all of us to enjoy and interact with his creation to the fullest in accordance with our own talents and preferences and predilections. There are numerous ways in which we can do that. God gives us a lot of freedom. A teacher will not be effective unless he also practices what he teaches. As James is famous for pointing out in chapter 2, verse 17, faith without deeds is dead. Some parents say one thing to a child and do something completely different themselves. That does a lot of damage, especially if that is a pattern. Kids will see their parents for the hypocrites that they are, and they will reject their teachings. Parents and teachers must be good role models. Children imitate us for good or for bad. If critical words constantly come from your mouth, don't be surprised that your child will also be very critical. And that's why we should also be careful about the way we speak about the members of the church, about each other, and about the leaders, the ministers, and the elders, and the deacons. And if the children hear nothing but criticism, and don't be surprised that your child, when they are of the age of consent, stops going to church, why should they go to a church where there are so many bad people. Indeed, why would they? And indeed, we are sinful people. And that is why James also says that we stumble in many things. And he includes himself in this. He says that no one is perfect in that regard. We're all prone to the wrong use of the tongue, to slips of the tongue. And don't think that James is saying this because he wants to give you a way out. Well, we can't help ourselves. That's the way we are. That's not what he means. What he means is that when we speak to others, we must keep in mind that we are sinners just like they are. We have to come across humbly. Also to our children. Also in our interactions with one another. We're all sinners. We all use our tongue wrongly all the time. And the word that he uses for stumbling literally means to sin or to transgress. Don't come to others with a superior attitude as if you're better than they, as if you know everything. No, you're a stumbler like everybody else. And so be humble. 
and apologize and ask for forgiveness when you have seriously misspoken. People do not respond well to those who are smug or self-righteous. You will not come across to others as a compassionate and understanding person, but people do respond to kindness and gentleness. If you want to teach others, do so in humility. And that quality is essential, especially for an office bearer. James says that if anyone goes, does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. As another translation has it, he can keep his whole body in check. Indeed, who is able to do that? Nobody. I know I can't. When James uses the word perfect here, he refers to maturity. That's often how that word is also translated. And that's the theme that he develops throughout this letter. He urges his readers on to the maturity of faith and also to the maturity of speech. And those who are mature in speech know what to say, how to say it, and when to say it, and when to keep their mouths shut. They have a good sense of what is proper in the moment and within the context. James makes some very apt illustrations to make his point. He compares the tongue to a bit in a horse's mouth and to the rudder of ships. And those two items are quite small, yet exercise great power. You, cannot, you, you, you can control a powerful horse with a bit, and with a rudder you can steer a large ship. Horses are often used as an example of power. That's why even today we speak of the horsepower of a motor. But a horse needs to be controlled. And you do that by putting a bit in his mouth so that you can overcome the wild nature of the horse. And the rudder is only a small part of the ship, but you use it to control that large ship to fight the winds and the currents that otherwise drive the ship off course. There are also all kinds of things that threaten to drive us off course. Our old sinful nature wants to control us and make us do and say all kinds of nasty things. And that sinful nature needs to be restrained. And for that reason, we must learn to use our tongues in the right way and steering others in the right direction. Brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls, never underestimate how you can direct the lives of others by using well-chosen and timely words. Think about the Lord Jesus, how he used his words and how he directed the lives of others. He spoke words of healing to those down and out, prostitutes and sinners. And he spoke to the woman at the well, for example, and her life was completely changed, as were also the lives of her neighbors. He spoke kindly to her, even though she was a Samaritan and was hated by the Jews. The very fact that he spoke kindly to her it made her think. It drew her to him. 
and to have a conversation with him. It made her think about the message of salvation that Jesus was bringing. That's what it's all about. It's about changing the lives of others so that they may know God and be given eternal life. Do you want to direct the lives of your children, of your loved ones, and be a positive influence on them so that you will direct their lives in the right way? Well, then use your tongue wisely. Use it the way the Lord Jesus used it, by being kind, compassionate, forgiving, and yet by setting clear boundaries. With our tongues, we can do a lot of damage. That's the second point. In verse 6, James compares the tongue to a fire and states that the tongue sets the whole course of life on fire. When he speaks here about the course of life, he uses an expression that means the circle of life. James suggests that the various aspects of our lives are connected like spokes in a wheel. And he is referring to all aspects of human existence from beginning to end. Your life is shaped by the kinds of things that happen to you throughout the years. You cannot divorce the present from the past. It's all connected. That's why David, for example, in Psalm 25, he said, remember not the sins of my youth. He remembers his sins. When you're older, you remember your sins. And sometimes it can just can well up in you and realize how you have often said and done wrong things. And then the Lord comes with forgiveness. I'll say some more about that later. But... James makes the point that you can destroy a person's life with your tongue. If a child grows up with nothing but criticism and harsh words, then he or she will have a tough time throughout their whole life. You may even have destroyed that child's life. But if a child grows up with kind and encouraging words, the opposite happens. You build him up and inspire him or her to live his life to the fullest. And you must especially do that with those children who are harder to deal with. Those are the ones who need the extra effort. And that's what God does. He leaves the 99 alone and he goes after the one sheep that is straying. Peaceful Gentle and kind words are the building blocks of life. God spoke and became into existence. And we're put into a delightful relationship with him. And after the fall into sin, he spoke to us again. And promised to save us from the evil one. These were words of love of care and compassion and wisdom. These are powerful words. Don't you think, don't think that your words or mine aren't powerful as well. They are. If you want to give your children, your wife or your husband a good life, then you do that by the kinds of words you speak every day. But if you want to destroy their life, then you also do that by the kinds of words you speak. 
Words are extremely powerful. If you constantly say to your child that he or she is stupid or ugly or whatever, you do great damage. It's a label that they will be wearing and which will haunt them for the rest of their lives because that's how they will see themselves. Labels stick. Like a fire, it can destroy you. As James says in verse 6, the tongue is a fire, setting on fire the whole course, the entire course of life. When I lived in Houston in northern British Columbia, a small community set in a large valley amid giant forests, there's a sizable strip in the middle of the forest close to town which was destroyed by fire. When the fire was raging, the town of Houston was greatly endangered. It affected the people quite a bit. And later they were reminded of that fire whenever they went out for a drive and came across a swath of that, of that great section blackened by the fire. That fire made quite an impact. People talked about it for years, decades. I'm sure even now. No wonder, for it had the power to destroy substantial portions, portions of the forest and almost destroyed that town of 4,000 people. And that fire became known as the Swiss fire because it was accidentally set by someone from Switzerland who was there on a holiday. However, the Swiss embassy did not like it and was that it was, did not like it that it was constantly referred to by the natives as the Swiss fire, for they felt that the reputation of, of Switzerland to be negatively affected that way. This story reminds me of the power of labels and also of the power of fire. One thoughtless moment by a single person created much havoc and even threatened the whole, a whole country's reputation. Well, says James, the same thing is true of the tongue. One thoughtless remark can destroy the circle of life. You can interrupt someone's mental well-being for a lifetime by making careless, hurtful remarks to another person. You can significantly alter a person's mood and ability to function. And that is especially the case if you are in the position of power or influence. A parent, a school teacher, an elder, or a minister, a deacon, or a friend. I remember an older woman who, as I heard from her sisters, was always a very jovial girl when she was younger. But when I met her, she was very subdued and depressed, and that's because she had a husband who by that time was no longer around, who always put her down, and he did that all his life. He was that kind of a person. That affected her to that extent. So that is why we have this warning here in James. Unkind words can be very hurtful, and especially if this is constantly done. And unkind words spoken behind a person's back are also especially damaging. And let's face it, brothers and sisters, we're all pretty good gossips, aren't we? We like to talk about other people. That's 
one of our favorite pastimes, some more so than others. The book of Proverbs reminds us that when we do that, we add wood to the fire. It says in Proverbs 26, verse 20, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. A whisperer is someone who gossips. Another translation says, without food, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. When there is a fire, it is often not the fire that does all the damage. No, you can have a very small fire that can do a lot of smoke damage. A fire spreads its misery around. As James says, it is hard to tame a wild animal. However, it is even harder to tame the tongue. As someone said, the most untamable thing in the world has its den behind the teeth. James describes the tongue as a restless evil full of deadly poison. Yeah. How true that is, isn't it? Think about the wrong language that constantly flows from our mouths. With our words, we express anger and bitterness. With our words, we express our sinful desires about the things we want to fulfill in our lives. Our words are often selfish and self-serving. Our tongues express what lives in our hearts. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 34. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Our heart is the storehouse of our emotions and our desires. And the unsanctified heart is full of wrong desires and goals and ambitions. It is indeed a world of evil. James says that our tongue is set on fire by hell. That's a strong statement. But that's what Satan did with his words. He tempted Adam and Eve and spoke lies to them. He twisted God's words. His words were full of venom. As the Lord Jesus said in, 8, in John 8, verse 44, Satan is the father of lies and a murderer from the beginning. But our tongues do not need to be set on fire by hell, brothers and sisters. Do you know how the tongues of the apostles were set on fire on that first day of Pentecost? Their tongues were set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And that fire is a purifying fire. Their tongues were set on fire by the Holy Spirit. And that fire from heaven burns away all the impurity that live inside of us and come out of us through the mouth. And so, thanks God for Jesus Christ who shed his blood for us so that we can be purified and so that we can have his Holy Spirit and so that the Holy Spirit can also be here to cleanse us so that we don't all have to go home all depressed because we have just been convicted. No, you also have been saved through Jesus. Believe in him. When our tongues are set on fire by the Holy Spirit, then they are a mighty tool in the service of the Lord. Then they are a mighty tool in the building up of the church, in the building up of families, in the building up of friendships and all kinds of relationships. But if the heart is filled with hatred, 
envy, and bitterness, then Satan is the one who lights the fire. And then all we do with our tongues is to destroy. James says that the tongue is remarkably versatile. With the tongue we can praise our Father, our Lord and Father, and with it we can curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. But our tongue is meant for, the, for healing the source of life. It's the third point. Brothers and sisters, why did God create you and me? He created us to praise his name, didn't he? Indeed. That is the primary activity of the tongue. Words of praise must come out of our mouth. And we have every reason to come with praise to God. James compares the mouth to a spring of water. He says that it is impossible that both fresh water and salt water come out of the same spring. The spring that produces fresh and wholesome water gives water that gives life. It gives life to vegetation and to animals and man. This world cannot exist without fresh water. And that is because water is the spring of all life. It's a life-giving source. And the same thing is true of the source of life of human beings. And what is the source of our life? Well, that's God's word and the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. The proverb says, the words of a man's mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Oh, sure, water can do a lot of damage. Just think about floods. They bring death and destruction. And so can our words. As it says in Proverbs 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Cool water is refreshing. So are well-chosen words. It was Paul's prayer to the Romans that he may come to them with joy and be refreshed in their company, as he says in Romans 15, verse 32. Now, how do you think they refreshed each other? What do you think they talked about when they got together? About other people? About all the things that are wrong in this world? Including the church and the people in it? No. They talked about the gospel and how the gospel refreshed them and invigorated them and how joyful it made them and how their fellow believers have rejuvenated them with their words. No doubt they also talked about how they might bring others to know the glorious gospel of salvation. Kind and upholding and encouraging words can be so refreshing. They are the source of life. If they're God's words. Brothers and sisters, the words you hear from the pulpit and that are faithful to God's inspired word are also words of life. That's why it's also important that you come together every first day of the week to hear the words of God. Without God's word, you're dead. Let me say that again. Without God's word, you're dead. 
Every time God speaks to you, he tells you in one way or the other that he loves you, that he graciously and mercifully forgives you your sins, and that he wants to dwell with you forever and ever. When he speaks his words, those are also his actions. You cannot separate the two. And he wants to be near you. That is, he wants to dwell in your heart. And when you die, he wants you with him to be around his throne Aren't those wonderful words? Upbuilding words. Words of eternal life. When the Lord Jesus spoke his words, it was always with the aim to bring others closer to their Father in heaven. And that's also what our aim should be as well. Our words must be chosen to direct others to the source of life, which is God and his word. Does that mean then that you can never be critical of other people? No. But if you want to be critical, you better be critical of yourself first. And make sure that if you do criticize, it is constructive. And that it is done in love. That it is done to bring people closer to God. That you are seeking ways to bring them closer to God. The tongue can be such a delightful instrument. And that is why James also compares the, tr the tongue to a tree. Trees are essential for the life of the earth. They produce clean air. They hold down the soil. They provide beauty and shade. They bear fruit. In Proverbs 10, verse 21, we read, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Brothers and sisters, let your tongues be instruments of nourishment, of healing. We all stumble in many things, James says. Indeed, we're a bunch of stumbling fools, aren't we? But it is especially because of that that words can be so healing that you seek God's word and you apply God's word. When we do wrong, as we do all the time, an apology goes a long way. We are often quick to criticize but slow to apologize if we do it at all. And wrong words can leave festering wounds. But kind and humble words are like ointment to those wounds. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, God has given you a fantastic tool. It's very powerful. Use it in the way that he intended. But it's not something you can do in your own power. You need God's help. And so pray daily that you may use your tongue for healing rather than wounding. As Paul says in Colossians 4, verse 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And he preceded that advice in verse 2 by saying, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. It's only through prayer. It is especially through prayer that the power of the Holy Spirit is available to you. Pray for your tongue to be set on fire by the Holy Spirit and not by the devil. And then God will bless you and he will make you a great blessing. Amen.